And we're live. I'm here with uh, Hermes. Hermes, how you doing? I had a good day here. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this, so I'm really happy to be here. I am happy to have you. We've been we've we had mutuals on Twitter for uh, quite a bit. It's been a uh, you've had some fun treats. It's definitely <laughs> fun talking to someone who's. I was talking to a friend of mine about this podcast. It's like moment when you talk to somebody nowadays, it's either no God, questioning about God, or Judaism or, or Islam. You know. And and um, here I am with a myriad of gods. Yeah, so it's it's a very it's very outside like the normal circle of conversations I would have. So I'm super excited to get into this. But so first question, uh Greek gods, paganism. How many Percy Jackson books did you read growing up? None, actually. I, I, I never got much into them. No. I, I was uh I was not a big fan of YA as a kid, actually. Mm. So <laughs> interesting. So Modern day, so I use like, how do you describe yourself? Modern day pagan, neo pagan, uh, like what's the words here that people people should use to describe? Well, uh, that that in and of itself is quite complicated. I'm not one for the word pagan. I tend to describe myself as either a neoplatonist or just a polytheist. Um, the word pagan is kind of loaded with a lot of meaning, and I and I like to avoid it if at all possible. Understandable. <coughs> Excuse me. So, how does you? Let's kind of before we get into this, go and tell my audience a little bit about yourself and then how you kind of found um, Neoplatonism or polytheism or all this kind of stuff. So my own background is – so I'm from South Louisiana, and I grew up in actually a Catholic household. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things where I remember growing up, going to church, and just not feeling very religiously attached. And I had a very short stint in maybe my my high school days um, where I was an atheist, but I, I very quickly realized that atheism was a kind of an incoherent position. And it was one of those things where I figured I knew that there was something out there. I knew that there was something more than just kind of the immediate material world that, you know, I experienced around me. And I wanted to go to go digging, and I figured – you know, I, I knew that the, the basis of all Western philosophy at the time was Plato, right? I knew these big Greek names. I knew Plato. I knew Aristotle. And so I figured, well, you know, if I'm going to find out w what I think is right, I should probably start with, you know, the big names of philosophy. And I started by buying a complete works of Plato and I actually got the same <laughs> edition I bought when I was like 16, 17, sitting on, on my bookshelf over there. And it's, it's just been that ever since I, I cracked open Plato at like 16, and it's just been Platonism and, and Plato all the way down. Nice. So I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Plato mainly because I get to read about Socrates, and you know anytime I can read about uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Socratic method uh, symposium is probably my favorite book. I'm going to a public again now, and it's just he's yeah Plato's Plato's fun because like it's it's philosophy and it's dialogue, and so you get like a good fiction element, you get a good like. Um, epic element, like a literary thing, but you also get a good philosophy out of it. So it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, so we talked to, we talked to on Twitter a while ago about because um, I was curious about there's multiple different pagans, uh, like pagans, polytheists, different kinds of these people who latch on to Greek Greek mythology or uh, deep pantheons, I guess, or Norse pantheons. Um, how does someone go about like figuring out what's what? Like, I know, I know you kind of have like the polytheist where it's like the platonic forms of things. So, how did like, do you, I mean, how did you come to that conclusion? Did you know how other people kind of reached the, how yeah, they chose who to latch on to? Or, I'll speak to others before I speak to myself on this matter. Um, 
so within these other kinds of polytheism, there are um, you know quite a few people who arrive at polytheism, and not everyone arrives at polytheism with, with anywhere near the same understanding of what it means to be a polytheist. So a lot of people arrive at, at polytheism through some kind of pseudo-folk belief where they just kind of go off of their understanding of what they think um, their pre-Christian ancestors understood about the nature of divinity. Some arrive at polytheism through a kind of uh, Nietzschean bent where they see Nietzsche as having argued for some kind of um, masculine uh, master morality style paganism, which I personally um, despise. I, th I think it's among the more ridiculous positions, or mo among the most ridiculous of the pagan positions. Um, but but most people arrive at it through a kind of an emotional state. Um, mm. So this is most people kind of have this feeling that oh, there are prob there is probably some kind of a divine, and it probably does exist, and then they kind of they they feel some displeasure or disinterest in Christianity, and they they kind of end up go looking for something else, and they tend to just land on the thing that they feel some kind of connection to. Um, mm -hmm. But for myself, this is a matter of my own kind of understanding of um, Platonism. So, um, one of the points I always make, and I, you know, not to get into the weeds of this stuff too quickly, but at the most basic level. Par the Parmenides dialogue and the Timaeus dialogue are describing two vastly different entities. So even immediately right there within Plato, we kind of see an instantiation of polytheism to a certain extent. And later Neoplatonists like Proclus and Eomblichius, which I read not too long after reading the whole of Plato, um, are really going to refine that down. So for me, um, I arrive at polytheism through an understanding of metaphysics and that's that's kind of a fringe position inside of most pagan most pagans you're going to meet. Most pagans arrive at being pagans because of some kind of emotional or some kind of cultural connection they feel to um, the ancient pre-Christian religions. Hmm. Very interesting. So I know I've seen some guys some guys that I think might be pagans just treat about like they walk into the woods one day and experience yeah. the divine. And I'm like, okay, I could, I can understand. Like, I mean, I mean, I know guys who get overcome with a sense of beauty just walking through a grocery store, you know. And they're just like, I get exist in the world with all this stuff, you know. I, so I absolutely get like that. Like, just simply existing can lead someone to discover the, the, the encounter the divine, you know. Yeah. Um. So, so Platonic forms. So, so I, I want to see if I can grasp it. So, how do you define what a deity? is in your sense like how do you define these things how do you like, uh, explain it and i know it's like, getting into the weeds but it's, just, it's, it's a philosophy podcast no, yeah, so, oh, no, need to go. so this arrives and, and the most succinct sort of explanation for these things arrives out of the thinker proclus and his book uh the elements of theology and theology of plato and around chapter l he begins to describe something he calls henads um, henads are what he calls gods. They, it, it's a kind of a, a weird term he kind of comes up with to refer to these kind of unified groups. A unified group is like a henad. And the first thing he posits is you've got this thing, which is the one, which is the one is, I mean, it, it, the one is unfortunately, technically speaking, impossible to speak about, but we can kind of speak about the characteristics of the one in the discursive sense. So um, the one is this principle of divinity, this principle of creation, it's this principle of unity without itself being unified, being divine, or being kind of 
a, a creator. It's a, it's the principles of these things in a way. Um, so what we get at is you've got the one, and then this thing necessarily, as a result of the Platonian doctrine of emanation, begins to unfold out of it. And the first thing it unfolds must necessarily be these things called henads, to whom the first characteristic is is unity. And this is what Proclus describes as the first characteristic of being unity, and this is the highest level of creation that human beings can functionally interact with. And so we, what we do is this process of theurgy described by Iamblichius where you, you kind of attempt to... M- observe the higher spiritual forces in the world to move up this kind of celestial ladder and at the and at some point you arrive at the hanads of the gods to whom all cosmic functions operate so when i think of the gods you know i don't think of zeus as a man sitting on a cloud holding a lightning bolt zeus is identified by the later neoplatonists as being a demiurge as being a maker of the world he has this function where he makes the world he's always thinking it into being and proclus is going to um assign according to his understanding which he receives from the myths um he kind of does these exegetical readings of the myths to understand the gods he applies his his metaphysics to the myths and he comes out with these kind of cosmic functions that he understands the gods is is operating inside of and he sees the myths as being the kind of key operative tool to exegetically understanding the gods And and i hope i've been clear there you have been. I think I kind of, I kind of get it. I think I get it a little bit. Um, <coughs> well, you, you mentioned uh, this guy. What was his name again? The guy who exegetically read the um, the old text. Uh, Proclus and Iamblichius are the two big names there. Yeah. Um, so he. What, what, what text are you referring to? Are you referring to like the Iliad and like what uh, kind of text are you referring to? Yeah, the Iliad and the Odyssey are going to come up. He also, do, although he does do exegetic readings of Plato, but as far as we kind of understand, he is going to have. Um, these kind of personal interpretation, like I wouldn't say, per- actually personal is probably the wrong word, he's going to have these readings of these collections of myths that we just don't seem to have. They've just been seemingly kind of mm. lost to the you know the annals of time, unfortunately. Um, but he would have seemingly had far more of the myths than, w- than we have access to. And and that's, that's saying something, considering he's living around the 4th century uh, AD, actually. Hmm. So he, he's kind of pretty late down the line, but he, he seemed to have had access to stories that we just kind of don't have access to. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to ask you. It's like with so much loss to history, how do you perform like worship? Or is that a thing you do? Like, how uh, Yeah, do you, yeah. I, I'm a worshiping pagan. Um, so this is one of these things where um, it, it's simultaneously more complicated than you think and less complicated than you think. Um, we we do kind of know how pagans, broadly speaking, and in kind of near universal terms, did worship, and so I, I keep a home altar. Um, and so what we what we kind of understand pagans to have done is to have done some kind of ritual cleaning ceremony, and you see that in the Iliad too, where mm-hmm. they they make mention of washing hands and this sort of thing. And you do a kind of ritual cleaning ceremony. You recite. I, I like the uh, light incense. And I get a bottle of wine out, and I usually get some uh, meat or bread out that I've you know, prepared. And the, everything kind of goes through this process where I recite a hymn, I make procession to the altar, I kneel, I make my sacrifice, I say my prayers, uh, you know, give wine and food, and, and then you, know, you kind of do a bow and then a rise. And that, at its most simple level, is, is the most basic kind of ritual you can do. Um, 
some people are going to develop more complicated systems. Some people, and some people go even a little bit simpler than that. Um, it just kind of, you, you, you kind of, you, every man who's a pagan is the priest of his home altar. So he kind of ends up developing the, these um, specific rituals that he learns brings him closer to the divine. So every two pagan, if you go to their house and you, if you watch them do rituals, they're going to do it a little bit different just because you end up developing your own rituals and rights to things. Very interesting. So we brought up the, we mentioned the Iliad, we mentioned these myths and these texts. Would, um, how do I put this? I'm, I'm, in the same way Christians look at heroes of the Old Testament, like Solomon, do certain pagans like look at Hercules? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like, what's the, like, is there a, a reverence to these myths that we still have, or they kind of do the stories? Like, how does it, what's the connection It's there? kind of both. Um, the, so a, a text called On the Gods and the World by a fellow by the name of Sallust is, is kind of the key to this. Um, and I mentioned this with Proclus. What is kind of understood is the myths don't themselves represent these historic events. The Iliad, the Odyssey, and all these kind of collected myths we have about the gods, these do not represent um, like in the Christian tradition, some kind of uh, real historical event that happened. Um, you know, beyond that, there was you know probably some basis for like the Iliad or something. But what we do get out of these is that you you kind of need to be reading between the lines of the story to kind of pull out from the stories and the myths these kind of deeper philosophic meanings about the nature of the gods. That the gods have kind of given myth to men as a as a kind of open door to understand them to understand their nature uh, through these stories and that's why these stories are as personal as they are and why the gods are presented as as human as they are it's not because they're actually like that it's because they are they they are inviting humans to kind of look at the divine through a way they're going to understand um but but they are treated as not necessarily holy texts but very very important texts and, mm. and as kind of these ways we can kind of directly put the gods in front of our face and think about them um if you know if that makes sense that, that doesn't make sense i get that um hmm. so I'm just, my mind's racing right now because I've, I've, uh, it's very it's very interesting you know because it's all very yeah. outside <laughs> like the normal american warehouse you know oh yeah so how does that? How does speaking of American Wheelhouse? I mean, you mentioned you, you know, um, how does this go over when like you bring it up in conversation and the people know? Like, how does this? Uh, I mean, if you, you don't like it, like, how does it go? Well, I mean, you wouldn't clock me as a pagan if you saw me walking down the street. I wear Western wear every day. I wear a big hat and boots. Um, so you wouldn't cowboy clock me. Yeah, cowboy pagan. <laughs> cowboy polytheist. That's my that's my go to these days. That'd be um, a phenomenal Twitter handle. <laughs> But when it does come up, um, I mean, so this is one of the things people tend to ask me about my family, at least. So I've actually got a lot of clergy in my family, um, a lot of Catholic clergy in my family. And uh, initially it was a bit strained on the familiar relationship, but these days things have kind of been smoothed over. And, you know, my family has seen that it, it's a genuine belief of mine. It's not just some phase. I'm not doing it out of like dislike of my family or dislike of the religion i was raised in it's not one of those edgy edgy no it's not it's not it's not an edgy teenager thing at all i mean um, you know and so relations have smoothed over there but Mm. when when most regular people find out they usually just ask me a few questions and then uh it tends never to come up again uh most because people don't know what to ask someone like me they don't you know know Dude, how to uh, approach if we, if, if we bumped it on the street i'm buying you coffee we're talking for hours <laughs> well thank you i'd be happy to 
Like this is these are like these. Are, I love these kind of conversations. So <laughs> that's why I have like all my friends Iowa. Like, oh, that guy's weird. Don't let him go to, to go to Caleb. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm definitely having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Um. So <clears throat> there seemed to be a like a flow of scene of like uh, <clears throat> polytheism, paganism, and during like the Greek time period, the Roman time period. Um. Then there seemed to be kind of a a drop off in, um. Paganism and kind of seems to be an upscale in it now. Like, so what do you, what, what do you think causing people to kind of rediscover and go back into it? And if that is the case, was it like a, was it like the Dark Ages with some fall of Rome to now? Like, <laughs> uh, how do you interpret the history? This well, and beliefs. That I mean, that is that is a important question. Um, you know, I, as Platonist, I do believe in the divine providence. I, I do believe the gods have set forth a plan for the world, and you know, I believe everything is encapsulated within that, and. Um, I, th- I do think in part, though, and this is one of the challenges of being a polytheist, is in part some amount of the polytheism you see today is not legitimate. It isn't um, – it's, it's not a kind of a, a real religiosity. A, a lot of people who are polytheists are polytheists because they are kind of just being edgy and they don't like their parents or their Nicheans and they think you know, some kind of paganism represents a more masculine religion. Um, but mm-hmm. in some ways, I think it's and, – and I'm sure even as, as a Christian you kind of feel this, that there's a pretty consistent failure of Christian leadership in, in the world. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I can agree. And I, you know, I think in some ways this is um, – people f- kind of feel that Christianity has failed them to some extent, um, that modern church leadership just isn't doing what it needs to do. And so they're kind of looking for a religion – that can give them that they can take part in that they can be, you know, kind of build some kind of religious home inside of, because much like people feel, you know, politically homeless today, more and more, I think people feel just as much religiously homeless. Um, Mm. And I think for many people being a pagan, uh, you you know, represents, and especially for for me, this represents a kind of a, a, a spiritual place I can reside inside of, that does feel like home. It does feel good. It does feel right to be here. And I, and for many people, um, though not all, um, th- this is the same, I think. Um, whether those feelings be out of a legitimate desire or whether those feelings be motivated by a dislike of something else. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, like, predestined. That, um, your polytheism said, like, the reason to put the... Like, what's the free will question? Oh, uh, the free will like, question. Um, so yeah, we're getting deep in this for three minutes. Oh, yeah. talking about free will. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is actually always. This is in fact something the the big Platonists kind of struggle with to some degree. Um, the, the answer is, and Platonus goes into this, that providence and fate are distinct things. Mm. So fate belongs to each person. My fate is mine. Your fate is yours. The listeners' fate is theirs, and they kind of. It belongs to them, and they can affect the course of their fate via their actions. And a buddy of mine put this a good way to describe fate. Um, if you take a cup and you push it off a table, it's fated to hit the ground. Your inputs affect your outputs. Um, so the life you choose for yourself here and the actions you choose for yourself, this is you affecting your fate, not only in this life but in the next life. But providence is the total sum plan of the gods. And the gods have set forth a providence in which they take into account every person's fate. Even our changing fate, they take this into account for their divine plan. So 
you know, though we kind of own our individual faiths um, because the gods experience things in a timeless way and know all things in a non-discursive, non-contingent way, they can they can use our faiths for the ends of ultimate goodness. So even things which we might call evil, even things which we might call immoral, ultimately those things are still being used by the gods for the end of goodness. This so, is kind of like the same thing Catholics have when it's like yeah. the possible words. It's amazing how when like when you like sometimes you talk and I'm like, okay, so I'm like gods, pagans, and I, I get what he's coming from, I don't agree. And you kind of get in like the platonic side of things. And I'm like, yeah, I would say the same thing about my religion. So it's well, I mean it seems to be a lot of I mean I'm a pagan guy like Augustine, so we still have disagreements, obviously. But I think it's 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 nice that I can understand what you're saying. You know, I was I was a little worried this conversation was going to be like, are you going to say something? I'm like, I have no way how to respond to this. But at least I can, I know what you're saying, so we can engage and have a conversation about it. So that's that's nice. Yeah, coming from you know the Catholic side of things, um, Catholicism, of course, has a a great deal of um. Uh, platonic philosophy kind of built inside of it mm-hmm. um you know I, I mean tone you know aquinas is of course you know big into aristotle i mean the summa is you know in, in a lot of ways heavily dependent on the aristotelian works and um, despite what the scholastics might say ancient platonists understood aristotle as being a platonist so we yes. can even draw upon him so i i would agree i, I have lord p garrison's book uh aristotle <laughs> oh yes it's good read i've got that it's, yeah. it's, it's a fun book it's um it's in my mind it's in my mind on Aristotle and Plato being the part. Um so this is kind of a weird question. It's not, it's not really like a metaphysical question, it's kind of just an observation thing. Um I see a lot of Egyptian ones, uh, pagans, some Greek ones, uh Norse mythology ones. Have you ever do you know anyone who does like specifically Roman? I know the Roman and Greek ones like are the same, just name chains or slight differences. Uh, is there like, like, do you know any Romans pagans? Is this, I, is this a culture I, do, I, I do know some, but they, they live in Italy. So they, there's actually like okay. a revivalist um, branch in hmm. Italy. I think they actually got a temple functioning to Jupiter in Rome really? quite recently. Um, it's a rather small one, but they did get a, a functioning temple up and running in that Rome. That would be a Jupiter. very interesting visit. Like, it oh, would be yeah. very interesting this experience and just see what a, uh, a, a Roman temple in modern day would look like. I mean, I, I intend to see it at some point myself, um, but we're actually we're actually kind of in a golden period where there are more and more temples actually starting to get erected. Um, even here in America, there's um, uh, not too far from me, an Azatru temple got, got started up. Hmm. So <clears throat> let's get back into some like metaphysical questions. Um, you mentioned the how do you pronounce it? The heat the heen henads. 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 Um how does this affect like let's um afterlife? Do you have like do, do you specifically have like an after a view of the afterlife? Or uh, the, like it's like again, I know it's a meta, complicated metaphysical or religious well, question, but it's uh, the answer is something in the realm of the, the Platonists. The philosophers never go too big into what it exactly looks like, but we are given a kind of an understanding of what what the process is like. So in death, people – think to the field of Asphodel, actually. This is a pretty good way of thinking about this, and I think it's intentional. In death, people have to lose their understanding of themselves. One of these things Platonists believe in is that we are not – bodies we are souls which are kind of which generated bodies to experience the world so we are first and foremost not really kind of flesh and blood humans but kind of souls and so in death 
we carry this perception of the body that we have into death and we have to lose this perception of our self as bodies in the afterlife and regain our perception of the self as immortal souls and then begins and i think proffery describes this as this kind of ascent through the heavens where you kind of move up each kind of these sort of celestial levels until you reach to where the gods live and then you reside among the gods for a time until it's appropriate for your rebirth so we believe in the transmigration of souls this process of uh, death the loss of the self the ascent up back to the gods and then the descent back down into life and interesting and there's disagreement on between some of the platonists about whether or not this cycle can be broken um Mm. that is interesting so uh, how would broken work like the soul would not be immortal and it would it could could be how does that work it's not like the buddhist the buddhist describe this as like a descent into non-being um Mm. the way we think about it is we we kind of use these words henosis and apothesis so henosis means um unity with the one and apothesis to mean becoming a god um and Plotinus says that it's not enough for a man to be sinless. He must become godlike. The ult- so the, the breaking of this cycle would be that one has perfected one's soul to such a degree that they are so akin to the gods that they just permanently reside among them. That they've, hmm. they've perfected themselves to an immense degree. They've shedded all desires of the immoral, of all desires of the evil, and they've perfected themselves in life through countless rebirths until they can just kind of reside permanently with the gods and become godlike and sinless. What is sin in this in the context here? Uh, much, I mean, uh, you'll I think have some of the same description of me on this. What so we describe evil in the negation. So evil, mm-hmm. as we're kind of want to say, simply does not exist. Evil is the negation of goodness. It is the privation of goodness. So. To be evil or to be uh, sinful for a, for, a, for a pagan, for a Platonist, is to say that you live a life in which the gods are not present. So wherever mm. the, the gods kind of are, there is goodness because the gods are the origin of goodness. But wherever, but where, where there are activities that are not of the gods, we call them evil. So when we say a man is evil, we just say, you know, he's not acting, he's not stood in the light of the gods, the gods aren't looking at him, um, and so a, a sinless life would be a life not a, a life filled with the gods in which the gods are present in every ounce of activity in which you are so unified to the gods that their goodness is simply a part of your very existence. Hmm. There's so many parallels, but in, there's, there's a lot of different like uh, uh, Protestant views or different like heretical Christian views that are very similar. To some of the things you were describing, like you say, you describe someone like, oh, I, I, I read about this in this this time period. I read about this in this time period. So it seems to be a very, it's it's interesting the amount of parallels that there are between um the parallels between how we both would talk about things. Yeah, well, I mean, just the history of philosophy is going to bear out that yeah. Christianity is going to end up absorbing a great deal of just philosophy from the old yeah. masters. I mean, um, see, I want to ask a Socrates question. Um, sure. I, 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 I can never remember if I'm remembering this correctly, but uh, Socrates' understanding of knowledge was that the soul knew things, and that you had to just you had to bring the knowledge out of it. So, like you already knew the things you knew, you just have to bring it out of the soul into your 
fine. I can't remember how he. He doesn't even way to avoid the, it, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the doctrine of remembrance. Um, okay. I believe it's uh, anamnesis is the Greek for it. It's the doctrine of remembrance. So mm. this is an answer to something called the learner's paradox or the Mino paradox, wherein Mino asks this question that's like, you know, either all investigation of ideas is pointless or it's impossible um, for a rather complicated reason. But Socrates' answer is to say, you know, yes, me, no, learning is impossible. That's why no one learns anything. They merely remember it. All information already exists prior to all material reality. It exists in the soul, and the soul rouses this information up, and then you remember it via this kind of rousing process. And, and Aristotle's actually going to kind of expand on this. Um, so a, a, a pretty coherent kind of way to think about the Platonic epistemology here, and that's, you know, for those at home, the philosophy of knowing is, and, and you forgive me for getting into the weeds of this, but the mind is divided into a couple of sections. So you've got the part of your mind or your soul, which is doing the thinking about things, which is thinking on this information it has. And for Plato, this is possessing the information, but not having the information. You have the information when another part of your mind, which is distinct from the thinking part of the mind, becomes aware of the thinking part of the mind and what it's thinking about. And so thinking and awareness of thinking are distinct functions the mind may have. And we call and so this is the process of remembrance, which is be, which is having that which you already possess. Um, and, and that's that allows us to answer some fairly poignant um, questions about the nature of knowing. And it also lets us, um, especially for materialists, kind of nail them on some pretty big questions. <laughs> I can imagine. That's... <sighs> wow. Okay, so I'm, I'm a big epistemology nerd. And so I yeah. was, like, that was really fun to <laughs> listen to that. Because that's a... Uh, I, I mean, I've been going uh, Zach Maritain's Degrees of Knowledge, which like, he lays out like a Thomistic epistemology. This is a really fun read because he's French and he basically opens the book up with like a five-page poem on metaphysics. <laughs> it's just so French. It's amazing. Um, yeah, Platonic epistemology. Uh, who, who could you recommend I could read more into that? Like, is there a book uh, you recommend? Or? Lloyd P. Gerson's Ancient Epistemology. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I, okay, that's it. I'm just gonna have to read all of Lloyd P. Gerson. I, I, everything Gerson ever wrote, he, he, he's a fantastic author. I'd, rec I'd recommend two books specifically. Um, his ancient epistemology and his um, Platonism and naturalism, both to mm -hmm. really kind of clue you into how the epistemology works and how the the forms work, especially. Mm. <sighs> okay, um, we've gone through my entire page of questions already, so I'm gonna put that oh, aside. You, I had like five questions listed, and you would answer them as you were going through the things, you know. So it's like <laughs> just not just knocking them out. Um, do you do – I mean, so one of the big things in, you know, a lot of religions, obviously, is, you know, apologetics and kind of like living it out and trying to convert people, you know. Um, is that a thing pagans do or is it more like a personal thing they experience? And do, it's like, like well, what's the – how does it so work? So I personally – and this is a kind of personal religious thing I, I, I've kind of realized about myself, and I, I can't speak to other pagans about this, but ultimately I can kind of feel in the air of – the modern world that we are a society lacking in virtue lacking in dignity and lacking in the divine in just about every aspect and so at least i've become interested more and more probably over the last year in doing pagan apologetics in doing kind of 
I guess you might call it spiritual outreach, where I am interested in demonstrating to people that I, th I think, you know, paganism is the path to the good life. And I think specifically Platonism is the path to the good life. Now, now most pagans don't really do this. There, There's a kind of uh, a feeling that attempting to convert people is a Christian thing, that pagans shouldn't do this, that they shouldn't try to convert people. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I, I don't want to go on missionary trips to try to convert people, but I am interested in just in my own community living a virtuous life and trying to show people that the way I live can lead, you know, you at home to, to leading the virtuous life. Um, so that, that's for me, but that isn't exactly common for, for most pagans uh, in the slightest. Um, hmm. Does it affect like? So I I will see I see some pagans on Twitter who kind of like turn into a full on like not just in a religious aspect but kind of how like they live the life, the food they eat, the exercise they do, the workouts, the clothes they wear, it becomes like a totalizing yeah. nature. Is that something that you personally like, partake? Like, uh, they, do you work out and eat? Like, I mean, you know? I, I I do work out, but I mean, that's just one of those. I you know, I don't care much what your yeah. beliefs are. You ought to work out at least a little bit, and you ought to try Absolutely. to eat well. Um, I don't. I mean, it is a spiritual practice in as much as eating well, dressing well, and working out is going to put your mind in a healthy state, and it's going to put your mind into the kind of state where mm. you can read philosophy, and you can read those books well and understand them, and you're more likely to be able to, and this is the biggest thing, those things are tools to build your discipline so that you can have a religious discipline, because religious discipline is one of the hardest aspects of being religious. It's doing your daily prayers. It's, I mean, this is one of these things that I, I guess I'd say being a pagan isn't about you know, doing the exercises, you know, suntanning your balls or whatever. Um, yeah. Bap space. Yeah, I was going to ask, you, I was gonna ask you about bap we'll, actually in a we'll minute. We'll get to them. We'll get to them. Yeah, but being a pagan is really more about keeping your home altar, saying your prayers, lighting your incense, and just being religiously present on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. And that's really what it, it's about. So everything else is just about getting you to that point. Let's talk about the BAP space. Yeah, the, the BAP guys. The, the, yeah, the BAP guys. Um, <laughs> the weird bunch. The weird bunch. I enjoy reading some of them because of the fun. Um, it, it seems – I mean, I don't want to speak to all of the BAP people. It seems like a lot of the BAP people I have interacted with when it comes to pagan BAPs, pe pagan BAP people, I guess, it seems much more just like an aesthetic choice than it is anything else. Yeah, it, it, it almost certainly is. Um I, I don't have too high of an opinion of BAP himself or much mm. of the BAP sphere. Um in in part because it is it is this kind of and, and I do the same thing with just these kind of pseudo groups all the time. They represent these pure aesthetic movements that do not have any depth to them. And I think that they are what we what we would call seemingly good things and not really good things. What I, and, I, and I see this problem crop up so many times where, in fact, I saw it just the other day, um, and, and you'll forgive me for this digression, but the, like the working out thing and the dressing well thing, these things all kind of have their roots for many young men in BAP. But the problem is, is those things are first steps to other processes. And so you get plenty of young men who end up experiencing, you know, these intense body dysmorphias around their physical form. Because the only thing they've got is bodybuilding. They don't have a deeper religious or philosophic life to kind of aim their their feelings mm -hmm. and their emotions and their thoughts at. 
And so I, I look at these kind of pure aesthetic movements, your kind of Nietzscheans and your kind of Baptists, to the extent to which those things are even distinct. And I see something which on its outset and at the pure kind of surface level is not bad, bad advice for young men, but it has to go deeper than that. Otherwise, it will lead young men down a kind of a bad road of becoming obsessed with the physical body. And for, for Platonists, and I'm, and I'm sure you, as, as a Catholic, you can kind of speak to this, the worst thing you can kind of do is to become obsessed with the physical. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where I see, like, bad leading young men a lot of the time. I would agree. I would agree. It's um, So I, I have one more question. Um, one more question, and we'll kind of have, like, a loose conversation and see where it goes. This is a question. Of, I told a friend of mine I was, I was interviewing a, uh, a polytheist uh, <laughs> pagan type person, and he's like, "What's his opinion of like Hercules movies and Marvel movies?" <laughs> and so, you know what? I gotta ask you. I gotta ask you. Have you seen the Disney Hercules? And what's uh, his yeah, I it? did. I've, I've seen the Disney Hercules. I actually quite like Disney Hercules. Um, I think it's a fun movie. It's a, you know, I know some people like to get up in arms about this kind of thing, but you know, if I had small kids, I wouldn't be opposed to showing them Disney's Hercules. Um, now the, the Marvel movies are just bad in and of themselves, yes. so I, I, I'm not kind of too willing. To, I wouldn't be. I, I don't even enjoy them on that outset. Um, but I, I mean, they just kind of are what they are. You know, they don't really have anything to say about you know my religion or or the basis of my religion. So they just kind of come off as goofy, bad movies at worst. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes someone will try to dunk on you on Twitter by saying, like, oh, there's a Marvel Thor movie, and you're just like, oh, who cares? <laughs> you know, dude, my favorite interaction, it was such a, it was about everything about it was just weird. It was a, a, a guy who worshiped Saw arguing with a Christian, and it was like, my God is a God of hammers, your God was near to a cross. And one guy's like, your God is owned by Disney, shut up. <laughs> It was just a whole interaction. Yeah, like, it was the whole oh, the whole thing just, goofy. Yeah, I was going to Twitter. Like I said, I'm seeing Christians and pagans debate on the internet. This is not something I ever expected to see. No, yeah, no, it isn't. It's, definitely, um, it, it, it and, and a lot of the discourse, of course, is not very productive. And I no. try to keep I try to keep out of it as best I can. Yeah, to kind of you know keep things on message to kind of keep a good attitude and and to be a kind mm -hmm. of religious beacon as much as I can try to be for the people around me. Well, we've gone for 40 minutes. That's all my questions I have. Um, is there anything else you want to add about the conversation or anything uh, you, you, missed, you kind of want to explain to the people about? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed 40 minutes went by. I mean, that was, that was quick. That, was a, very, that yeah. was a very fast recording. I was surprised. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Definitely. And if you know, of course, uh, I've always got an open schedule. If you ever like me to have me back on for anything, I'd Absolutely. be happy to, um, but the one thing uh, I always like to get across to people in these conversations, and I always like to double down on it, is when you interact with pagans, the one thing to remember, there is kind of to some degree no such thing as the one pagan. Um, it it kind of doesn't exist. Um, there are so many different varieties of pagans, and they all believe different things, and they all have different views and different backgrounds and, and where they're coming from about being a pagan. And and so some one of the bad aspects of discourse online that I see crop up time and time again is I end up having to argue against these straw mans of paganism that simply do not exist, or they exist in a handful of weirdos online. And so yeah. the thing I would tell everybody at home who might be listening is when you're dealing with pagans, you know, do your best to act in good faith because, you know, every single pagan you're going to encounter has a different viewpoint and it's going to be a little bit different from everybody else. And you're just going to have to kind of work down the philosophical line with people, see where they're coming from, see their beliefs. And in a lot of instances, as I think we've kind of displayed tonight, 
you and I speak a very similar moral language to one another, and I imagine we'd have a lot of moral values we agree on. And so that's the big thing I, I'd often get get to in these conversations is, for some of us at least, we share a common moral language. And though we might disagree on religion, I think in a lot of ways we can kind of put things aside for the sanct of common moral language and common decency uh, among men and women and among mm-hmm. friends on earth. So that's the thing I'd like to kind of make clear to the folks at home that some people like me have a common moral language and a common moral vision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Hermes, uh, thank you so much. It's just so weird calling someone Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, I'm not against it, but it's kind of just weird to be like, well, thanks for coming on, Hermes. <laughs> happy, well, happy to be here. Um, but, what can people find you? What are your plugs? Uh, just at Twitter, um, just where you, you, you know, you added me on Twitter. I have a sub stack. It's up on my Twitter page. Um, I actually released an article today about the philosophic turn into – or the turn into philosophy. So if you'd like to check that out, please do. You can just find me on Twitter. That's really the only place I am these days. But I was happy to be here, and I hope everybody has has enjoyed me as a guest. And I've definitely enjoyed uh, speaking to you, Caleb, today. Yeah, I've, had, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on, man. This has been a, a blast. Well, everyone, this has been another episode of um, Face Liberty and Praxis. Like, comment, share, subscribe, the whole nine yards. Uh, I got Owen McIntyre coming back on December 16th for Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh, the Classic Driven Life series is underway. Expect the first episode maybe by December or January. And the Life of the Saints series is also underway. Hoping to get one of those out before the end of the month, if I'm lucky. So, if you want to miss any of this, make sure you hit the notification bell, all that good stuff. Uh, have a good night. Mm-hmm.